What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. You can also kind of get your finger there in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be camping out there for uh, our time together today. Now, um, contrary to revisionist history, the 1780s and the 1790s in America were actually some of the worst times to be a Christian. I bet you didn't learn that in history. A lot of us, even in the church world, we think, oh, if we can just get back to when America was founded, right? Everybody was Christian. That is actually not the case, especially on the college campus. Not only were you made fun of, but you were actually persecuted for being a believer in America in the late 1700s to the early 1800s. Students were so persecuted that they would actually gather together in secret. We do a lot of ministry at Polytech, and we really feel like there's an enemy that really keeps us from doing many things, and we really battle and we pray against um, really the spiritual forces that we have on that campus. But praise God, we are not anywhere near the point, I believe, to where we actually have to meet in secret. Timothy Dwight, he was actually, if you've heard of Jonathan Edwards, anybody heard of him before? Greatest American theologian of our, of, of, in America. And he actually, um, his grandson was Timothy Dwight. And at that time, he was actually the president of Yale University. He found out that two students were being persecuted for their faith. And so he invited those students into the president's office every single day in Yale to pray because they were getting so persecuted for their faith. Now, during that same time, this was also happening in Williams College in Massachusetts. You can still go there today. An incredible thing happened there. A group of Christians were coming together, and they would go down by the river. Don't say that in your Chris Farley voice. <laughs> they were down by the river, uh, but this is actually what they were doing. And, uh, and they were actually just praying for spiritual awakening. This was the language they used. May you awaken us, awaken our people to the reality of who God is. And in August of 1806, Right when school was starting, they were gathering together yet again and praying. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we're obsessed with investing in college students because so many of the revivals throughout history started with college students. But anyways, in August of 1806, a storm was hitting while they were down by the river, right? And it was so bad that they knew they wouldn't be able to make it back to campus. And so they actually found a a haystack and they they were hiding under the haystack. And a student declared this phrase, and they really point to this phrase. It says, we can do this if we will. This ushered deep prayers where they were constantly praying to God, not necessarily to save them from the storm, but to save, their pe- save them and to save everybody around them that revival would come on their campus. This started a missional movement to where they now point back to that moment, and they call it the Haystack Prayer Meeting. In the next, within the next just four years, since that haystack prayer meeting, many volunteers started getting together and they were talking about missions all throughout the world. And many of them started going to Asia to spread the good news of Jesus. Among them, one of those students from Williams College is Adonai Judson. If you've never heard of him, he's an incredible missionary with an incredible story. Talk to me after I can uh, show you a quick biography that I think is just super helpful, so inspiring. But even within the next 50 years on that campus, they sent out 125 men to the mission field just from that college campus alone. And they pointed it to one thing, that haystack prayer meeting, beginning a momentum, a movement of where they were praying for God to move. And I could go on and on. Aren't there, there are so many cool stories about God moving when his people actually pray. 
One of my favorite quotes is from Martin Luther. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Don't you love that? I think it's so good. There's also really cool stories about people like George Mueller who funded like so many orphanages and he never once actually asked a person for money. He prayed, he would pray for people that they would give money and they're like, here's my money. I don't know why, but here's my money. Like that is the coolest thing ever. You also have missionaries. I believe it was Hudson Taylor where he, he had to pay rent, but his boss kept forgetting to pay him. And instead of saying, hey boss, you've forgotten to pay me. He says, no, I need to train my soul for prayer. And so he prayed that his boss would finally remember to pay him. And uh, he got kicked out of his, no, he, he finally got the money and he paid it. Um, just to say, if your boss isn't paying you this morning, you probably should tell him. I don't know, maybe you shouldn't, because this guy did a lot with his life. Guys, I want us to be encouraged here. We've been talking about practicing the way of Jesus, and the whole idea is knowing the truth of Jesus is incredible. But there is so much dysfunction we have in our culture today, and I think it's because we have separated the truth of Jesus with the practices of Jesus. Jesus had these certain practices that he put into place, and it it enabled him to actually live in the presence of God. And so for us, the last few weeks, we talked about fasting. Uh, Caleb talked about meditation. What does that look like, actually? We talked about Sabbath last week. Um, so for us, like, this is so new for me. Like, I feel like I just got saved all over again. Like, I just, I'm loving learning these things. And so I'm actually very concentrated on doing Sabbath, not as a religious thing, but it is a way to get in tuned with God and then set things aside. And today is prayer, which honestly, if you look at fasting, meditation, Sabbath, all those things are kind of pointless if you don't pray. So probably in hindsight, I should have started with this <laughs> sermon because I kept saying, when you fast, you need to pray. And you're like, okay, how do I do that? And I'm like, you, uh, wait in three weeks. But today we're going to talk about prayer. And I want to start again with this foundation. Trying to behave like Jesus leads to death. But training to become like Jesus leads to life. Meaning, we're not saying pray like Martin Luther tomorrow morning. Pray for three hours since you have such a busy day. I promise you we will all fail and we will all have extra sleep that day if we tried to do that, right? My thing is if you're training for a marathon, you don't just tomorrow run 26 miles. If you do, you... You won't, okay? There's just, I don't know. I just don't think it's possible. Um, but we would say, if you're going to train for a marathon, wake up tomorrow and run. Let's, let's run a quarter mile to McDonald's. That's a good start, right? Let's just run real quick and get rewarded. But then the next day, we'll go a half mile to Sonic. The food choices will just keep getting better and better, right? And I think that's how you train, right? So for prayer, I'm really hoping to encourage us today and just think of, okay, tomorrow, I'm just going to try this. And then maybe you'll get better. I, I'm hoping to get better but, but I, I'm really wanting us to do that. We've, really, we've been looking a lot at the life and lifestyle of Jesus. And the craziest thing, the, the reason why Jesus did so much on earth was because he prayed. This was, I believe, the number one practice Jesus had. He would get alone and pray. He would pray with his disciples. He would pray while he was walking. And that's something that I believe, if we want to tap into this life, being an apprentice of Jesus, actually following the way that he lived, Prayer is absolutely foundational, but it won't be mastered overnight. So be encouraged and just recognize this is a journey we all have to take together. Now, Matthew chapter 6, what's really cool is this same account is in, in the book of Luke. And this is the only time in all the Gospels when the disciples said, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, teach us how to pray. They could have said anything. Teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to walk on water. Teach us, no, no, no. He, 
The disciples recognize, after spending even just some time with him, realizing the power of your ministry is because of the way you pray and because of how much you pray. And this is what they wanted to learn. And Jesus laid out for us how to pray. Now, as we look at this, I want us to really, I gave, we we read verse five together for context, but we're just going to look at nine through 13. And I want us to walk through what each line means. What's really important for us to know as we jump into this is this is actually a framework for prayer, or maybe a better word is an outline to pray. I remember my freshman year in high school, uh, football, I never played football before, and I just try to act like I knew what football meant. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, you're the X and you do a Y pattern. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But anyways, I remember the first game. It cracks me up. I mean, I don't want to downplay it because there's, I guess it's better to live this way, but they, my, my teammates would just like get so pumped. They put their helmet on, they smash it against the locker. They're like, bah! Meanwhile, the way I react to pressure is I yawn which doesn't really look good. Like right before I got married, I was sitting in the corner yawning and people were like, do you not recognize you're about to get married? I'm like, yeah, I totally do. You know, it's like, wake up, brother. That's just like, I don't know. The way my nervous system works is I yawn. So if I'm talking to you, it means I'm, I, and if I'm yawning, I must be really excited to talk to you. I don't know. But anyways, um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So they finally found out that I was the son of a pastor. And so they're like, you need to pray. Well, I was really in a weird spot, because the first two games of our freshman year, this captain of our football team, he would walk in, everybody, let's pray. And I was like, this is cool. And then say it with me, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And, also, and I felt terrible because I'm a son of a pastor. And I, don't, I couldn't even, especially they were reciting the King James Version. I was like, God, I don't know this prayer. <laughs> like I was with my atheist friend going, let's Google what the Bible says. You know, like I don't know this prayer, especially in King James Version. I could not repeat. But so many people have been raised like that's how you pray. Our Father who art, who art thouest in the heaveneth, hallowed be by the name. You know, and I'm like, what? So what I want to tell you is this is actually an outline where he says, hey, our Father in heaven, let's look at what this looks like. And this is how you start your prayer. And this might last for 20 minutes, Okay. Your Martin Luther will last for three hours, but we're training, okay? So let's look at each one, recognizing these are just jumping points for us to start actually, um, to just use it as ideas to start praying. So he says the first line is really, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. I love this translation, CSB, your name be honored as holy, because who understands what hallowed be your name means? I don't. I don't go to my wife and say, hallowed be that dress. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I'm just not going to say that, right? What does hallowed mean? Your name be honored as holy. What you see, this first category, what Jesus is addressing, point number one is realizing this is a foundation. You just start with the right perspective of prayer. And you, you have to start this way. Our prayer is more effective when we start with the right perspective. If you don't start out recognizing who God is, and who we are, and our relationship to Him, and actually spending time just thanking Him for who He is. How many of us, we start praying, God, I need this, I need that. Oh yeah, pray for Johnny. I remember somebody told me, you know, the prayer request yesterday, and you just start trying to do all the needs, and that's when you start falling asleep, right? That's when you start thinking, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed with all the needs of this world. You start getting depressed. No, no, no. What you need to do is just immediately say, our Father in heaven, and you start thinking about that for a while, and thanking God that He is your Father. And just pray for that. How often do we just jump right into needs? Jesus is so intentional in his order. And I believe we need to be intentional in our order as well. When I, was, I went running this week and I, my knees still hurt. How come? I'm 27. I'm already feeling like a 40-year-old. No offense to you 40s. Um, 
but like I can't run anymore. But anyway, so I went on a run and I was like, okay, I'm going to be praying. And so I decided, I was like, I better practice what I preach, right? So I was using this as a guideline and I was so thankful. And I'm not saying that, but I couldn't get past my father who's in heaven. I was, but it was a quick run, but, but you know, like the whole run, I was like, this is so cool, God. Like thinking through what are some things I love about my dad and God, you're so much better than that. What are some other things I like about other people's dads? <laughs> and God, you're so much, even that, not even those categories. I, I fear so many of us, we just have such a, some of you have had terrible fathers. And so don't try to use that as your baseline, but just realizing, like my hope for you is if you had a bad dad, don't just say, I'm not going to ever view my, my God as a dad because I've had such a bad, just realize that God is your father and there's so much goodness in that reality. Uh, I think there's a couple things we're reminded when we're praying to God saying, our father, I think one is it reminds us that he's in control, right? Like I remember when I was in my dad's house, I slept well every single night because he was in charge. He was watching the house. I could just sleep. Now my wife's in charge. She keeps it. No, I'm just kidding. But it lifts him up. It says, you know what? You're my father. And, and I remember one day, I, 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 this is such a, I, I, why should I jump in this story? But I am, I was sick of baseball. And I said, dad, I quit. And he finally was like, okay. And I was like, but I'm scared to tell and I was in seventh grade, and I was like, I'm scared to tell my coach, and I couldn't believe it. He went and told the coach for me. I'm probably a terrible person now because of it. Like, I probably should have manned up and did that myself, but I remember moments like that, and I think, God, that's so cool that I get so worried about these things. You might just take care of the whole situation for me. God, I praise you for that. You're in control. You're there for me. Another thing that's so cool when you recognize that he's your father, you know what that means? You're his child. You're, you are his, and you can even just spend some time, God, wow, like you care for me. Like I am yours. I am protected. And it lifts him up. I love this. Tim Keller says this quote, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access to God. We can bother God with anything because he's our dad. That's what they're supposed to do, right? That's all my kids ever do. I'm like trying to pray, trying to study, and they come running, right? They're like, daddy. And I'm like, Wow, now I can't be mean because that's the cutest thing ever, right? But then I mean in like 10 minutes, it's fine. But look, our prayers are greatly hindered when we don't recognize that beauty. And I need to move on. There's so much more to talk about, but he's your dad. And by the way, I hope you have a good view of your dad because here's what religion says. Religion says, okay, God is your father, but they say this, I messed up, my dad's gonna kill me. Anybody have those debts? That was mine. <laughs> get in at 10.59. Don't even try to get at 11, even though it was curfew, right? He's a great dad. I shouldn't make that joke, but kind of. Um, but the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. That's the difference there. That's the kind of dad that, that you have. God, I've ruined it. I, I don't know what to do. The best prayers are honest prayers. Because guess what? He knows everything. <laughs> he knows what you're going through. But here's what's so cool, our Father, that's just, I can just preach a whole sermon on there, and I won't, you're welcome. Now, in heaven, now interestingly, this word is actually, uh, in the Greek, can be translated more than just heaven. When we hear heaven, what I don't like about this is we now think our Father who's way up there, right? Who's with the angels and all the harps and all these things, that's not actually it at all. This word, heaven, can be translated like one of three different ways. 
and honestly, this is why a lot of people misinterpret Paul's words when he says, I entered into the third heaven. And this is why a lot of people have developed whole religions around this idea that there's layers to heaven. It's a simple misunderstanding of what the word heaven means. Heaven can mean the air. So like what I believe, what he's saying, the hev- our father who is all around us, our father who is in the air, like right against my cheek, right? I'm breathing you in. Like he's everywhere. Our father who's everywhere. That's what it means by our father who's in heaven. Not way, way, way up there. But by the way, Another translation, and if you actually look at the Greek, it's in the plural, so it says our Father who is in the heavens. And a lot of people think there are three layers of heaven. Heaven, number one, is like where we see out here, this, this, the, the air and the birds. But the second level of heaven, if you want to use that kind of language, is the stars, the sun, the moon. And then the third level is where most of us think about, is heaven, heaven. The heaven that we can't see, no matter how much of a telescope we have, but it is where God's people are dwelling after they die. So our Father who is in the heavens, who is completely encompassing all things. You could even spend a lot of time thinking about that. God, no matter where I go, you're with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I can't, who can escape the love of God, right? These are beautiful things about the reality. Dallas Willard, my new favorite author, when you talk about that, by the way, Stacey, I just love him right now. But he said this, he says, the damage done to our practical faith in Christ by confusing heaven with a place in the distant or outer space or even beyond space is incalculable. Incalculable. You know what I meant. Um, in other words, he's saying we have done so much damage thinking God is just way up there. He's also right here. And he's among us this morning. Amen. Now, I need to move forward. Your name be honored as holy. And I have always thought, but God, isn't your name already holy? Martin Luther talks about how this actually means it's saying, God, may I live a holy life to where when people see what I do, you are praised because of your holiness. In other words, we've been talking about, yes, believe in the life of Jesus, but also walk the lifestyle of Jesus. So, so really, this is a prayer, God, will you enable me to practice the ways of Jesus today? May my, I honor your name as holy by living this set-apart, different lifestyle that you have called us to live. Notice how nothing so far is about pray for my uncle, right? You need to, especially my uncles, amen? But you get it, Jeremy? Okay, but um, he's my cousin. Moving forward. Um, Calvin also claims the point that this, your name be honored as holy. He's also saying not only should we live this lifestyle of Christ, may we be holy in our actions today, but also that we'd have a heart of gratitude for how good he is. May we just be thankful for your goodness. Um, Tim Keller says that seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. And I love these first few lines. It's getting the right perspective and saying, God, wow, you are what makes me happy. And I want to honor you, and I want to enjoy you, and I want to think about you before I even start thinking about me and all the stuff I'm going through, which he cares about. But for me, every time I do it in this right order, my prayers seem longer, and they seem more satisfying because I'm actually enjoying him. But let's move forward. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am actually realizing for us as a culture, we've really misunderstood this phrase altogether. And I think it's because we have a deeply fatalistic perspective in our society today. What does that even mean? Okay, I don't know. Um, no, fatalistic society. What I mean is we all think our fate is already written for us, right? What's gonna, what do we say, right? God's in control. 
And it seems like so Christian of us to say that, right? But God's got it. Okay, but all throughout God's word, God says, you need to pray for it for me to do it. There's things that have happened in, that have not happened in your life because you didn't pray for it. That's a crazy reality. We have this fatalistic society where we just think what will happen will happen. So let me just, go, let, this is all, God did all this on purpose. I would argue that God does have a greater purpose, but he allows us to kind of point the direction of our lives. And I would think that some of you are not necessarily going on God's plan, but he continues to remake new plans as you continue to ruin those plans, right? You know what I'm saying? He does have a plan, but he had a way better plan five decisions ago, but it's okay. He'll still make all things work together for our good. But it's just that we have to realize that God is interested in us being a part of changing the future. And prayer has so much about that. Our prayers have the weight to literally change our fate. We have to believe that. One thing that, um, one practice that you can do is prayer walking, where you're just literally, um, quoting Stacy, I think he's quoting somebody else, but I'll, my, my mentor, pastor, youth pastor is here, Stacy Ford, but he always talked about praying on site with insight. And so it's very helpful to prayer walk. First of all, you're not distracted with anything. You're just walking. And also you can look at a house and think, oh, I'm going to pray for the people that are in that house. So I see this building. I'm going to pray for the people in that building. This is very helpful and healthy, right? To walk because running hurts the knees. Amen. I love a lot of us old people. Uh, and so prayer walking is huge. So Stacy, uh, I mean, all throughout my career of being with him, we, on, we, anywhere we go, we have to prayer walk before we start. We prayer walk as we end. We did it in the Virgin Islands. We've done it in places in Queen Creek. Um, and also, we did it one time in Richmond, California. This is just on the outskirts of San Francisco. We did a mission trip there uh, my senior year in high school. And I remember when we were driving, the, the driver from Richmond was saying, have you guys seen the movie Coach Carter? And I'm like, yeah. I, I still thought maybe I'd make the NBA at that point, right? So I was like all about it. I'm like, yeah, I've seen Coach Carter. And if you know Coach Carter, like that's a pretty hard neighborhood, right? Like they didn't have money for ties. It's a great movie. Go watch it. Anyways, is that Samuel Jackson who is in that? Or my? No, it's not at all. Um, but he's in almost every movie, so it's a good guess. <laughs> but moving forward. But I remember the driver saying, okay, on this side is the bloods and this side is the crypt. So make sure, I hope none of you brought red or blue. And I'm like, praise God, I only wear black. You know, like that's the only color I, yep, okay, good. Uh, I'm always wearing black. Um, but I remember thinking, because me and Jordan were dating at that time. I'm like, dear God, I pray that she's not wearing any blue or red, because I know she looks really pretty in those colors, right? You know, I was still in that phase. Um, but I was so upset with Stacy. Because he split, I just heard all of this, how terrible the place is. I know the movie, Coach Carter, this place is not the greatest place for us um, almost homeschool type people. You know what I'm saying? And so we got into Richmond and he's like, all right, we're going to break up. And I, in my ears, this is how I heard it. Guys go here, girls go here. I know that's not really what happened, but it is very much what happened, Stacey. So Jordan, he made, you need to talk to him after. Praise God, she's still here. Um, Stacy made Jordan and three other girls go and walk for like an hour and we didn't, I don't even think we had cell phones back then. That's how old we are. And so they're like, just go that way. And I was this way. And the whole time when I was praying, I was not praying for San Francisco. I was praying for Jordan, who was that, I don't know where she was. I had a lot of insecurity issues, but I thought y'all would laugh more than this. This was like, this was a big deal. Like I was like, Stacy, what are you doing with your life? Like he's from Texas. So he thinks everybody's nice and everything's better in Texas. You know, all this stuff. So I was so stressed out, but by God's grace, he's like, I don't care. He's like, God is in control. Let's not live that way. Um, just kidding. I don't know. You're here. I wouldn't have gone harped on it more if you weren't here. Let's move forward. But honestly, I love that lesson that he taught me is that like, look, we need to surround this place with 
with prayer. We used to, in, in, in the mornings, we would go early to our high school and prayer walk around the building before we entered in. Those things are so powerful. And it's so important that we understand the power of prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally means, guess what? The kingdom of God, which is all around flourishing, God reigning, people loving each other the way they're intended to love. This is like before the fall, right? This is Adam and Eve in the garden. This is perfection. We're praying for as much of that to come to earth as possible. And us as citizens of this city, we're praying that, that God, your kingdom come, your will be done in Queen Creek as it is in heaven. That is our actual prayer. And this is point number two. If we don't believe prayer changes our fate, our desire to pray is dead out the gate. You will have a terrible unsustained prayer life if you don't actually think it will change the future of people's lives. But it can and it will. And it continues to happen throughout history. It's so incredible how revival comes when people actually start praying. It's never the other way around. What are some things we can pray for in Queen Creek as it is in heaven? I'm praying that God would restore families that people would actually realize that God created them for a unique purpose and their passions are a beautiful thing within the framework of the kingdom of God and can be used to change other people's lives. My prayer is that they would realize that some of their desires are actually deceitful desires. My prayer for our city is that we wouldn't just run after every desire we think it should make us happy because realizing that some of the desires are actually disordered desires. God does want us to enjoy certain things, but other things we have believed the lies of the enemy, so I'm praying, God, may we no longer believe the lie of the enemy that this desire would make us happy. May we recognize that being in you is what makes us most happy and gives you the most glory, which is most important. Like, how are we as a church praying for the kingdom to come here? I'm praying that for our church, and I'm praying that for those outside of the doors, that we would show what a flourishing society under the rule and reign of Jesus looks like. Augustine says, God is reigning now, but just as light is absent to those refusing to open their eyes, so it is possible to refuse God's rule. God is ruling and reigning now, but we're praying that God opens people's eyes to that reality and then walks within that reality. That's what we want. Why are we here if that's not the desire? David Platt, I can go further, but I just need to move on. David Platt says, the purposes of God are unchanging, but the plans of God are unfolding. In other words, we know the ultimate purpose. God will save every, groups of people from every tribe, tongue, nation. But we don't know how that happens. And so maybe it can happen 100 years earlier if you and I get down on our knees and pray for it to happen now. Because I know it'll eventually happen. I don't know when, but I really feel like I can be a part of when that will happen. By us actually getting up and going, planting a church somewhere, being a missionary on the other side of the earth, that actually, that plan will actually start happening because of you. This is what's so cool, guys. We get to be a part of the plans of God. We get to actually put it in motion. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I love it. No? Okay. Um, now look, the framework puts us in the right position. So we have to, guys, when you're praying, notice we have yet to pray for Aunt Ethel, Right? We need to be praying about these other things. And the first thing we pray for is, God, let's, you, you're, you're my father who's everywhere. This is so good. And then when you move on, like, kingdom come. God, all these things I see in the Bible, may that be a reality here. I pray that for my neighbor. I pray that we would just be, like, may not only people, like, enjoy your salvation, like, enter into it, but may they actually live and walk within it. Oh, it's such good prayers. But then he moves to the prayer that usually you and I first start with. And it says, give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If I had more time, I would split this up even into more categories, but alas, we do not. Now, give us today our daily bread. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 8, you actually have the same language. It's not up there, but listen, it says this. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. I love this language. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. So when Jesus was saying this in the New Testament context, in the, in the, new, um, in the first century, people, the Jewish listeners, knew that he was partially quoting Proverbs 30, verse 8. So he knew, he's saying, our prayer is not for poverty nor riches, but just to give us our daily bread. This is hard for us because we are in a once-based society, economy, where everything is about once, everything is about more prosperity, more, 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 more riches. And so it's hard for us to navigate what are our actual needs. Like, we already have those. How do I pray, God, give me my needs, if I've always had my needs? I've never missed a meal, amen? Well, what do we actually do with it? I actually read Tim Keller, even just last night, was talking about Christians should be so generous that we're asking God to fulfill our needs because all the riches that we receive, we're constantly giving away to where the next day we're wondering, do we have any more money? I know I had a bunch yesterday, but I gave it to a lot of people. Can you imagine if we were generous that way? We're honestly always wondering if we're about to go in debt because we're giving to the mission of the kingdom of God. I think it actually makes a lot more sense because I was thinking, I would never be able to pray, give us today our daily bread. I know how to make at least that much money. I don't think that's the point. May I live my life with such open hands and I'm constantly thinking, God, I need you to provide tomorrow because I'm giving it all away today. That's cool. But that's a heart that gives that way when you first started your prayer about how, God, you're my father and you'll always take care of me, and you love me, and I want to share with others how good this loving is. You can't just start with, I need to give. You need to start with, look what already has been given to me, and that will lead you to have to pray for your daily bread. In poverty, we have the bent towards resent. When we are, so we're saying, God, may we not be poor, because when we do that, we start resenting you, we start resenting others who have success. We don't want to have that heart. That's why we're praying against poverty. We're also praying against prosperity, riches. I'm not against riches, but in this sense, I am. We're praying, we don't want prosperity in the sense that we forget the goodness of God. We forget that we actually need him. We face the threat to forget. We, we face the threat, God, you've given me so much, I no longer need you. You realize why most of us don't pray? Because we have money. Money answers a lot of prayers, right? Instead of praying to go to Hawaii, I'm just going to go make, and I'm going to go to Hawaii. I can pay for it. Instead of praying, like I'm, I'm praying for my Tooth to heal, I'm going to go to the dentist on Tuesday and get it healed. That's a real story for me. Pray for me. I hate the dentist. Okay, last point here. We pray to get away from our bent towards resent, and we pray to get away from the threat to forget. We don't want to resent God or other people. We don't want to forget God or other people. We want to be in tuned to the goodness of God and constantly praying for those around us. That's why it says, forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors, is recognizing we cannot be right with God if we are not right with man. We don't want to be bitter against anybody. We don't want that. So God, we're praying against resentment. God, may I make everybody I'm with, I am in good standing with them. Also, we want to be caring for people. May I not forget people that are around me. May I care for them and love them. Do not bring us into temptation, recognizing, recognize this, getting tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, but you entering temptation is the sin. 
So really what it is, is it's not necessarily saying, God, may I never get tempted, because that's an unrealistic prayer. But it is saying, God, give me the strength to see that, Jesus, you are better than this temptation. Today, may I see that you are more satisfying than this lie that is before me. Then it says to deliver us from the evil one. This really is a prayer. I would say the first prayer about forgiving our debtors and bring us temptation. This is prayers on the inside. May you, may you change our inside so that I don't make the wrong decisions. But this last part, delivers from the evil one, is praying the evil that's outside of us. Those who are trying to persecute us for following Jesus. Those who are trying to bring harm to those around us, certain societal things. That's what we mean by deliver us from the evil one. Now, is prayer easy? No, by no means. But I promise you, it's so worth it. When I talk about like Jesus is better and I talk about how good he is, what I really mean when I, when I, I don't do this perfectly at all, at all, at all. I'm training, not trying, right? I'm training. But when I experience the goodness of God, it's when I'm praying. Like when I tell you like God is so good, that will seem such a detached thing and you've never experienced it, I promise, if you actually haven't spent time just in prayer. So my desire for us as we look into this week is that we would pray by using this outline. May we start with the right perspective about how he's our father who's in heaven, he's everywhere. May we also continue by saying, God, we can change our fate and we want to bring as much of the kingdom down here to earth as possible. And then we would continue on with the needs and wants that God has. God, guess what? God doesn't just want you to pray for needs. You can also pray for wants, but then you're content with whatever he says in return. That is how God works. And God loves to move in and through. And I feel like, man, we can do many, many series about what prayer looks like. But I'm hoping just to start out with a template and making us see that this is worth pursuing. There's many different ways. Um, let me just go practical. Um, there's different ways that I have tried to pray. And I'm going to make this quick. I didn't even plan this. But um, one is just to honestly develop a list of people you're praying for. I, I know one person, they pray by, by doing outward circles. So they think, okay, I'm going to pray for me and all my relationship with you, God. Now I'm going to pray for my family. And then I'm going to pray for my friends. Then I'm going to pray for my neighbors and my church and the rest of the world that I don't know. It's this, like, I'm going to start here and go outward, and I'm going to keep praying until I'm done with those who are outward. Uh, I, for me, Braveheart music works. I'm <laughs> just saying. I pop on the Braveheart music, crank it up, and I'm like, God, I just pray for, you know, and then I start praying in Scottish. It's the coolest thing ever. Like, that's totally all right. It's better than you not praying, okay? So don't make fun of me, all right? But music is so big for me. It gets me in this presence of him and the presence of freedom, right? It's good stuff. It's so helpful. Uh, also, when I drive, I'm either listening to a podcast, I'm listening to a sermon or something, or what I've done more recently is I, am, um, I put a headphone in one ear, the driver's side, so that people think I'm talking to somebody, but I'm just praying to God, you know, out loud. But I'm, I'm worried about what people think of me, so pray for me. So I'm always like, oh yeah, like somebody's right next to me at the stop. Yeah, 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 you know, act like I'm talking to somebody. Well, I am talking to the king of kings, you know, right, whatever. Um, prayer walking, prayer running, um, just making it an actual schedule in your life. What's so cool is the Psalms, they would actually pray because this is the way their calendar, their days work. They said, I pray that I would think of you in the evening, in the morning, and the afternoon. They actually believe the day started at night, at dinner time, which is why I like Sabbath. We talked about it started at dinner, not in breakfast. But anyways, 
It's actually, I have it in my calendar when I need to be done. But when we did our 21 days of prayer in October, we always remember at noon, we would log on to Instagram live and two of you logged on with, we're so thankful for the two of you. And uh, we would pray live together. We had more than that, sometimes three. Um, But we would pray live together. And so actually I had that set on my calendar reminder every day, like at 11.55, because it literally is on my, today at 11.55, it'll say Instagram prayer. And so I never stopped it. So every day at 11.55, I get this reminder to log on Instagram Live. I don't do that because you guys won't be there. But I do pray and just think, okay, this is a great reminder. Can you set calendars throughout your day to pray? Um, There's so many ways, but the point is to just start. It's not going to be perfect. What you need to start with is just being honest and start with making it more about him than it is yourself. And it will make a world of difference in your life. I would love for our church to be practicing the ways of Jesus. And one of the things I would deeply love is if we were known as a people who prayed. And we don't count anybody out. Instead of, oh, that's, no, no, no. We actually pray even more for those people that the world counts out. That we would see, God, you are abundant. And we believe so many things haven't happened simply because we didn't ask. I don't want to... I, don't, I do not want to go to heaven. And I don't know if this would, he would do this to me. But I don't want him to say, here's all the things I could have done, but you didn't ask for it. So that's how I'm going to start parenting. <laughs> I was going to give that car to you, but you never asked. They'll, they'll ask. Trust me, they're girls. Okay, so, but anyways, <laughs> that's my desire for you. I deeply desire that for me. So let us, in community, keep training, keep pursuing this, and I think we can start really getting a hold of it. It'll get easier and easier, and our prayers will get deeper and deeper, and we will be more and more satisfied in the goodness, gracious, lovingness of God.